I've been wanting to play the Surf Coasters here on Modern Kid Radio for a while. I finally got my hands on their music, and I got their permission to open episode 73 of Monster Kid Radio with the song Dead Tree. It appears on their album Surf Attack. You can find out more about the Surf Coasters over at their website at surfcoasters.com. You can also find them in the links over at our website, monsterkidradio.net, which is, of course, the website of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast celebrating the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your host, Derek M. Cook, and we have a bonafide classic. We are classing up the show this week when we talk about the ghost of Frankenstein, the universal classic, the fourth film in their Frankenstein franchise. And I'm not talking about the movie alone. No, I'm talking about the movie with somebody that I've wanted to do a podcast proper with for years. Artist Daniel Horn. Now, he and I are on different sides of the country, so I fired up my computer, opened up Skype, and called his cell phone while he was working in his studio, where he was certainly creating another wonderful piece of artwork. I met Daniel Horn back when I was doing Mail Order Zombie and I was calling myself Brother D, and I've wanted to get him on a podcast proper for a very long time. If you're not familiar with Daniel Horn's work, you really need to be. I'm going to mention it at the end of the show, but you know what the heck? I'm going to go ahead and mention it now. Go to his website at danielhornstudios.com. Now that's Horn with an E at the end. DanielHornStudios.com and check out what he does. Now, he doesn't just do monster work, but, I mean, we're monster kids. That's what we're looking for, and boy, does he deliver. Go check that out. Of course, when you're done looking at that, go over to our website. Find everything else that you need to know about Monster Kid Radio over there. You can find links to our Facebook page and our Facebook group. You can find our contact information, like our email address, which is monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or our voicemail line, which is 503-479-5MKR. That's 503-479-5657. If you click on the Bands and Songs button at our website, you'll find links to the Surf Coasters as well as all the other music that's appeared in the past on Monster Kid Radio. If you click on the Live 365 button, you'll be taken to our Live 365 channel, which plays a variety of music from classic science fiction and fantasy and horror movies. There's all sorts of things you can explore over on our website, you know, between episodes when you're not listening to part one of our discussion about the ghost of Frankenstein with Daniel Horn. Now, in part one of our discussion, we kind of break down the story. We're going to go through beat by beat, talk about what happens in the film, that sort of thing. And as we go, as things come up, we're going to take a little segue off to the side and talk about what this particular element meant to us, what we think about that particular element, that sort of thing. But I can tell you right now, spoiler alert. We pretty much break down the entire film. If you have not seen The Ghost of Frankenstein, you owe it to yourself to see it right now. The movie runs just over an hour long, so you have no excuse. You've got plenty of time. You know what? I don't mind if you even hit pause. Hit pause on your iPod, on your smartphone, whatever it is you're listening to Monster Kid Radio on. Hit pause. Go watch The Ghost of Frankenstein. Then come on back, because Daniel and I, we're going to talk about the movie with you, and I can't wait. I'm actually so excited that I think we're going to get to that right after this. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, 
and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Hammer, that 1972 black exploitation film starring Fred Williams, love that movie. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Down Place can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Better not be the 2003 flick starring Adam Goldberg, you know, the Hebrew Hammer. 1951 Down Place, the home of Hammer Films discussion. I'd like to welcome to Monster Kid Radio a Rondo Award-winning cover artist and creator of monster portraits, two of which I've got hanging in my home. Welcome to the show, Daniel Horn. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really looking forward to it. Now, I've known Daniel, I've known you uh, for a while. I think we met at a horror hound. It was a few years ago, and I'll never forget it because I was walking through the Mask Fest section of Horror Hound, and this large man, very muscular looking man you know reaches over and says are you brother d and you know it's like man I, I got to meet a guy who has graced the cover of some of my favorite magazines over the past few years and you know to know that you were listening to my podcast and all and to find out that i've been enjoying your artwork for nearly as long i mean it was just a, a real treat to meet you and i'll never forget that oh well the feeling is mutual i, I remember that it was a uh the very first mask fest at uh, Horror Hound. And um, yeah, you have to remember that like when I'm sitting in my studio painting, that's really a kind of a solitary job. And my kind of window to outside and to the rest of uh, you know folks who like classic horror and all things of the genre is basically through the podcast. And so, you know, that that's how it started. I, I remember it was a male or zombie and... Um, I used to sit down and paint and sculpt, and I'd have that on, and I'd play old episodes, and I'd, I'd run through your whole catalog and then start over again. Oh, no. <laughs> so it was uh, a great enjoyment. You know, it was really uh, so entertaining. It really is. And, and it's really, really helpful because there's a lot of films that I've never seen, and especially when you, you, know, you had the, the Man War Zombie and then 1951 Down Place, that you know, I actually went out and bought because of reviews from your show. So oh. other than, you know, it helps the movies and the filmmakers out, it, it kind of broadens the whole field out as well. Oh, thanks, man. I'm, I'm glad you've enjoyed it because you've been giving me enjoyment over the years. Um, the very wow. first print of yours that I bought, and, and I swear we're going to talk about the movie here in a moment, but I, I, <laughs> the very first print of yours that I picked up was the Boris Karloff from The Walking Dead. Oh, uh, yes. I have that framed. It's, I love this piece of artwork. Oh, thank you. That was a cover for uh, Monsters from the Vault. I think it was the second cover that I did for them. And I, I really loved doing the portraits and kind of putting my spin on it. And, and it's also a way of kind of get back for all the, a lifetime of, uh, of enjoyment of watching these films. I started watching classic, Universal Classics in 1967. You know, so it's been all my life. And even though I went on to do other things with, with my art, it all comes back full circle to um, 
the things that you enjoy when you're a child or the things that you enjoy when you grow up. I'm always blown away when I go to a con or I look at other people's artworks on the Internet, and I find these people like you, uh, like Cary Gamble, like other artists who enjoy these classic monster movies, and it, it just blows my mind that these movies have inspired so many artists to go in and create these wonderful tributes. I mean, I'm looking at the Boris Karloff print right now from The Walking Dead, and it's a black and white film, and it's probably not one of his better movies, but you've given the picture so much life and depth. Uh, there's this wonderful backlighting happening in the uh, in the picture from behind him. I, I love the art. Well, you know, a lot of the credit goes to the still photographers, these classic still photographers. Really, with the classic portraits, that, that is the, the areas, the, the things that we have to do our artwork. So really, it hats off to these, these wonderfully skilled photographers and their lighting that inspired generations of artists to infuse their own on, on that. But yes, it, also, it all starts with those wonderful black and white stills that uh, you can get at conventions or in books and that. So as far as the love of it, you have to remember that when I was a kid, back in the, the early and the mid-60s, that when something came on TV, it was an event. You would read it or hear about it, and you would wait all week. And if you missed it, you missed it. So it was very special. And I think that's why my generation of fans like hold this stuff so dear, because we didn't have the DVDs or VHS or laser discs or any of this stuff, or even cable TV. I mean, so... When it was on, we were focused and zoomed in on it, and it just ingrains in you how special it is, and you thought about it, and you read the magazines, and you know, especially Famous Monsters of Filmland, and you, know, you bought the little nickel bubblegum cards, and I mean, these are the, <laughs> the only things we had, so that's why they were so special. Well, I lo I've loved what you've done, and when we talked Thank about you. getting you on the show... You brought up a movie that I hadn't watched in a while, and you told me it was one of your favorites, your second favorite Frankenstein film. The Ghost of Frankenstein. Yes. Absolutely. This is the first Frankenstein film to not feature Boris Karloff. Right. Uh, Lugosi comes back. Lon Chaney takes yes. on the role of the monster, and I believe they shot this uh -huh. like very shortly after The Wolfman. I mean, he dove right into this pretty shortly after The Wolfman, so Universal knew what they had with Lon Chaney. They started filming in uh, December 15th, 1941. And uh, they wrapped up uh, February 27th, 1942. It's a fairly short film. It's 67 minutes long, I believe. I was surprised by that when I went to back to go watch it again, that it was so short. Yeah, its pace is like boom, 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 boom. There's no, there's no fat on this film at all. It really starts in, it gets into the story, and it travels along in a fairly neck-by-neck pace. Yeah, I was pretty surprised by that. And you're right, it does pick, it's really quickly paced. And I think the music kind of helps with that as well. Uh, it's probably got one of the most uh, full scores uh, of Frankenstein films from, I mean, of the first four, it's probably got the most full score from start to finish. Hans Salter, the, the iconic, I, I don't know, I, I believe they're oboes, like when the monster, I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful score. It really is. Now, I'm assuming that a lot of people have seen the film, but just kind of briefly, it's, I don't know how many years after Son of Frankenstein. Do they ever really say? Mm, no. All I know is that the villages are kicked off again. They're blaming Frankenstein again. And uh, they feel that just having the castle in their village is a curse. And the land's curse. And children don't have, are going starving. They don't have enough bread. And something must be done. You know, and they're uh, 
harassing the mayor to do something about it. A few times they even talk about the curse of Frankenstein, and every time that phrase comes up, I'm thinking, well, is that where Hammer got their idea for their title, for their version of Frankenstein? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, I was going to say, the village is actually called Frankenstein. It was something that was established, I think they even reference it in Son of Frankenstein, that while the village is called Frankenstein and the doctor is called Frankenstein, the son of Frankenstein can't use the word Frankenstein because of the Frankenstein monster. So, I mean, even just the word Frankenstein has this negative connotation and weight. And yeah, the villagers want to blow up the castle. They want it gone. Just, exactly. You know, maybe Igor's still alive and, you know, we just, this is a blight upon the town. We've got to get rid of it. Exactly. Well, the mayor, under threat of uh, not being reelected, says, do what you want with the castle. Jurors blow it up. And that's exactly what they do. Uh, the men in the village march to the castle with uh, crates of dynamite. And lo and behold, uh, who's uh, on the parapet looking down on but old Igor? Yeah, he is he didn't still alive. Die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, he didn't die and... He cleaned himself up a little bit. He doesn't look nearly as ragged as he did in Son of Frankenstein. I, you don't see his teeth all messed up anymore, and he's a little bit more clean cropped around the beard. But it's still old Igor. It's all Bela Lugosi still turning in one of his best character performances. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to, to me, both the Son of Frankenstein and the Ghost of Frankenstein, the entire films hang on Lugosi's shoulders. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He is just such the, the center piece that both of these films revolve around. It, it's it's amazing, even with what with the cast they had on uh, the song Frankenstein and the Ghost of Frankenstein. Still, just the Ghosty's portrayal of Igor, as far as character, it ranks up there with Carlos Frankenstein. It's just such a strong performance. He, he owned it. He just owned it. He definitely did. And I think watching, especially these two movies back to back, you know, there's Uh there's the whole, you know, Lugosi said he didn't want to act with makeup on. He turned down Frankenstein because somebody would recognize him. Lugosi proves without a shadow of a doubt that he can act through makeup because the Igor makeup is still pretty intense and really good. But it's still Lugosi's soul that brings those characters to life or that character to life. Absolutely. I mean, for everything from how he portrayed the characters, his hand gestures. And now that, you know, I've seen this film many, many times, I watch things like hand gestures and how other things, you know, the sets and the lighting and the camera angles, and really kind of focus on them and really enjoy those. But yes, Lugosi, he's just, to me, he's the star of this film. He definitely is. is. Now, he's not the only Uh actor to come back, though, for this Frankenstein film. We've got Lionel Atwell back. He's playing a different character. Absolutely. And there's Dr. Bomer. Mm -hmm. Apparently, he was Frankenstein's teacher. And something happened, uh, an experiment, or uh, it, it hints that maybe somebody died in an operation that didn't go quite right. Um, at least that's what I got out of it. Yeah, that was the vibe that I got. And Cedric Hardwick, who plays Ludwig Frankenstein, I guess brings him back as an assistant. And now the pupil is the teacher. And, and that reminds me of, of the scene where Cedric Hardwick is explaining to Dr. Kettering about how he was the teacher and Frankenstein was a pupil and how things are reversed. It's just a beautiful scene, the way it was set up, where Lionel Atwell, he is fiddling around with some machinery and he ducks behind this railing and it frames his eyes perfectly. I, I look at films for that kind of things, of beautiful set scenes that 
really artistic the way it was filmed and set up. I notice it a lot in this one specifically because, and this is no disrespect to Frankenstein specifically, or even Dracula, but the very early Universal monster movies are a little stagey. You uh, know, people uh, are still trying to figure out where they can put the camera and still not show the microphone and how to move things around. In Ghost of Frankenstein, there's no such hesitation. I mean, the director, the director of photography, they're moving the camera around. They're getting these wonderful camera shots and angles. They're using shadow oh, subtly in the background. It looks good. Uh, the director, I don't think we've mentioned, was Earl C. Kenton. Yes. Uh-huh. And this was his first time uh-huh. in the Frankenstein wheelhouse. Right. And he really used the camera angles to accentuate Cheney's largeness. You know, he yeah. was a, a big man to begin with. But almost in every scene where you see the Frankenstein monster, the, the angle is lowered. It really, it's really effective. It's shadowing like Cheney's eyes. In contrast to Karloff, who his eye acting was wonderful. Yeah. You know, I mean, that you saw the character through his eyes, but with Cheney, his, his eyelids were so laden and closed that, you know, it really made him like an automaton. It really did. Even some of the most more tender scenes where he's with the little girl and he's, you know, he, like the scene where he and Lugosi and Klostein and Cheney wants the little girl's brain in his head and, you know, he's protecting her from Lugosi and he throws Lugosi up against the wall and, you know, but still, it's more of a, a physical body acting as opposed to a quiet, subtle acting like, like Karloff did. Right. I mean, Karloff definitely came from a different school of acting, I suppose. I mean, I love yeah. Cheney, and I'm not... It's just a different kind of acting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and now all of the action, you know, with Dr. Frankenstein, or at least Ludwig Frankenstein and Bomer and all that, this all takes place in another town, Viseria, because Igor and the monster have been run out of Frankenstein. The castle's been blown up. They've got nowhere else to go. Igor and, and the monster, they go on a road trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. They, they, they're looking for greener pastures. And as they are leaving, the castle gets blown up. And uh, then there's a real quick cut. And it's, there's lightning and storming out, and Cheney is chasing around where the lightning is with his arms up. And Magosi and Igor is fearful that, that lightning's going to kill him, but the lightning strikes Cheney. And you get this big kind of almost like superhero music, you know, the soundtrack. <laughs> and Cheney like stands up slowly and expands his chest out and throws his elbows back like mm-hmm. he's Superman. And it's very triumphant. Yes. And, and Lugosi says, Your father was Frankenstein, and your mother was the lightning. And it's just such a wonderful, wonderful scene. That's one of my favorite lines of the movie as well. That, that whole mm. sequence mm-hmm. is capped off with Igor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wonderful. So you have Igor the monster. Uh, the monster, of course, he was uh, taken out of the sulfur pit by Igor, covered with sulfur. And next scene, he has a nice, crisp black suit on. He's well-groomed. And they're walking uh, to this area. And uh, a gaggle of geese and a uh, goose girl cuts across their path. And Igor asks the girl uh, what village this is. And Dr. Frankenstein live here. And she tells him, yes, it's the big house at the end with the wall. And that's when the monster kind of walks away. And there's a little a close scene, a little girl, and she's playing kickball by herself. And of course, there's there's a bunch of uh, bully boys, and they decide to really show her how to kick it. And one guy gets up, gets a nice soccer kick up, to, you know, and kicks the ball up in the, the rubber band, 
you know, it attaches onto uh, part of a chimney, and they see the the, the boys uh, see the Frankenstein monster, and they run away, and a little close thing goes up to her and says, are you a giant? And the camera angles are great, because it's looking, looking down on the little girl, and then looking up practically from the ground, the worm's eye view, up to Cheney, and it looks like a monolith. Yeah. And then she walks up to him, and she, like, with her little little hands, like, grabs his hand, like, turns his wrist, looking at the scar on there, and he picks her up. And she asks him, can you get that ball for me? So as he's walking up the steps, of course, the, the boys uh, call the, uh, the men of the village together and say, there's a giant here, you know. And they come running after her, and Cheney's uh, walking up and strikes one of the uh, villagers uh, down off the steps. And so he makes his way up, and as a segue, if I ever hit the lottery, <laughs> I, I want to build the universal European village back lot and live there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love those sets. I really do. It's just a wonderful, like, mythical kind of fairy tale setting. I love Viserys specifically, and there's a lot of talk about how this was like the first time the Frankenstein movies went kind of like more B-movie than A-movie, but I couldn't tell it from the sets because these sets are gorgeous. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, the Viserys, the uh, Ludwig Frankenstein's house, his, his laboratory, everything. It just, I, I think you have to view these universal classics at least I do, as fairy tales. If you come at it from that point of view, then things like, yeah, they have electricity and telephones, but the town prosecutor shows up in a horse-drawn carriage. You know, so right. it's like anachronisms, but it just all works. It works in this fairy tale setting. Mm-hmm. And another uh, point of interest, I don't know if people are interested, but the little boy that kicks the ball away from the girl would turn out to be the actor William Smith, who would go on really? to, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he, I mean, he would go back to acting in the uh, 70s and 80s. He appeared in Conan the Barbarian, the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was one of the Marlboro oh, men on TV. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was the little boy that kicked the ball away. <laughs> wow. Wonderful. And I know that Janet Ann Gallo, uh, who played close in, she still goes to conventions, I believe. Oh, really? Wow. Uh, yes, she was uh, at Monster Bash. So some of the, the, the very young children uh, that were in these classic films are, are still around and uh, going to conventions. That's awesome. Well, you were talking about the just this monolith of a of a monster, you know, Frankenstein's monster. Right. Yeah, and you made a comment earlier that he seems like an automaton at points. I'm wondering if at any point during the production of this film, somebody referenced like the original Gollum film from Germany, because I felt like there was a little bit of that in Lon Chaney's movement and how he performed the character, and it's just kind of nice to see that as well. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I liked the Gollum as well, so it was nice to see for me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. They're the same figure, and it really does call the uh, call out uh, uh, from the wonderful silent film Wagner, who played the Gollum. But yeah, and the same kind of movements, very stiff. But that kind of, it, it fits Chaney's physicality, too. True. It's kind of big, not very subtle or supple, as Carlos was supple, but his was more solid. So we left off, Chaney and the little girl, are, and he retrieves her ball up on the roof, and he comes down, and her father's telling him, telling uh, the little girl to tell the monster to bring her down. So he brings her, bring, brings her on the steps, and the father receives his daughter back, and then 
the, the entire village, not just the police, but the entire village, like, jumped him. And it's really, it's kind of humorous because you have the policemen there and male villagers, and then you have female villagers and kids. And all through the film, like, the entire village, everybody chases the monster around. You know, not just, like, the men, but children and old women, and, you know, everyone got in on the act. Yeah. So they take the Frankenstein monster, he's chained, and they had him in jail. And the town prosecutor, Ralph Bellamy, uh, drives to Dr. Frankenstein's house and says, we have a, a madman, we would like your opinion in, uh, of him. So then it cuts back to the courtroom scene. Cheney's chained and he's in a chair, and Ralph Bellamy's trying to elicit some response to the monster, and he's just not responding. So the judge says, well, the little houseman girl, he, she seems to have some influence on him. Here you have this, this monster chained up in the courtroom <laughs> who, kill, who killed two men, and the judge is saying, well, hey, let the little girl come and see if she can, like, you know, elicit <laughs> some response. And she makes her way through the courtroom, you know, and she stands up in front of Cheney, and, and Cheney kind of leans in towards her. And then uh, Sir Cedric Hardwick, uh, Ludwig Frankenstein, comes in, but Cheney recognizes him, and the judge says he seems to recognize you. And then Frankenstein says, I've never seen this man before. Of course, Cheney's Frankenstein rips the chair apart and, he's, and people flee and goes up to Frankenstein. You think he's going to like club him with, the, with his hands that are chained. And then all of a sudden you hear Lugosi as Igor, his weird horn playing. And it, it summons the monster and the monster crawls out the window and Igor puts him in the back of the, the wagon and off they go. And of course, the villagers, both the men, the women, and the children are chasing him down. Yeah. So it's really, I mean, it's very like, it's paced like boom, 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 very quickly. And I really like the shot uh, when we see that Igor's playing the horn because you've got mm. kind of Bella Lugosi in the, the background of the of the shot and he's got the horn pointed toward the camera and it's kind of this angle and mm. it's just a really neat shot and a neat image. Yeah, it's almost set up like if it was a 3D movie because it's really angled like right out at you. There's a couple shots in this that are like that. That I kept thinking, you know, I wonder if they were thinking 3D at one point, or I don't know, but there are a couple of shots where things are coming right toward the camera. You know, you got that horn thing, there's another shot later during a surgery scene that something's coming straight toward the camera. I thought it was pretty interesting. I've always kind of considered this as a bridge film. The pacing is quicker, quality of the images, everything is crisper, and it really has more almost in common with films from the 50s than it does from the 30s. Kind of the realism of the 50s. You can see a transition between the old-school, very stage-like films of the 30s, horror films, and kind of the more the realist approach of the 50s. So, yeah, I've always seen this as kind of like that, that horror film that starts to bridge between the two schools of thought. It really does. You're right. It does have more in common with like the 50s Universal monster movies, the science fiction monster movies specifically. It's got that kind of pacing and that vibe, that feel of the music again, the way the camera is used. It definitely, you know, again, people say, sometimes say this is the bridge between the A movie Frankenstein movies and the B movie Frankenstein movies. But I think it's kind of, kind of the best of both worlds going for it. Right. Yeah. So we, have, we left off with Lugosi and Cheney and Escaping the Village. So Igor... Basically, blackmails Dr. Frankenstein into reviving or restoring the strength of the monster. 
he blackmails saying he's going to tell everybody that he's the son and the brother of Frankenstein who created and restored the monster. And Frankenstein's terrified because he's left that all behind. Nobody knows that about him. So he agrees to Igor's demands. And there's a scene where the monster breaks into Frankenstein's home and kills Dr. Kettering, who I took it as Dr. Frankenstein's assistant. So Dr. Frankenstein has a great idea. He says, let me put the brain of Dr. Kettering in the monster. So Kettering will live and his father's legacy and good name will be restored. But Dr. Bomer kind of has another idea. He's, he's a little embittered about how Frankenstein has kind of eclipsed him yeah. in the medical profession. Igor's, his body's broken, you know, he's crippled, and he says to Bomer, put my brain in it, and I'll make you head of the medical commission, promising all this great power. So that's what he does. Bomer decides to give in to Igor's Svengali-like <laughs> influence over him. That's a good point. That's a good way to put it. There, there is kind of a... Uh, an almost kind of a hypnotizing kind of quality to the pitch that Igor gives him. I'll put you in charge of the medical commission. We'll rule the state. We'll rule the country. Yeah, the state. Yeah. Yeah, in the great Teutonic tradition, right? Yeah. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, the monster's on the table, and Igor's on the table in another room. Dr. Feinstein thinks, okay, you know, I'll, I'll switch the brains. I'll put Dr. Kettering's brain in. And lo and behold, the monster's revived. And he speaks in Igor's voice. And, oh, my, what, what have I done? Yeah. And uh, th at that point, Frankenstein said, that I've, I've created a monster ten times worse than anything my father created. Because now you have the evil sly brain of Igor in this massive superhero body. And then something happens, and I'll let you tell that. <laughs> We're referring to the sight problem? Yes. There was a complication. The blood type, and I didn't realize Frankenstein's monster had a blood type, but the blood type of Frankenstein's monster and Dr. Kettering, they matched. Wouldn't have been a problem. Unfortunately, Igor's blood type is not quite the same, and pretty quickly his eyesight starts to fail. And Dr. Frankenstein talks about how the mismatched blood types can lead to the sensory organ failure and... Now Frankenstein's monster can't see, which I really appreciated because I've seen the other movies. I've seen you know House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula and all that. And in those movies, the monster walks around a lot with his hands outstretched. Well, yes. if he can't see, of course that's how he's going to walk around. So here's the justification for that. Yes. Of course, it doesn't make the Igor monster very happy. <laughs> no. And he immediately, he turns on Dr. Bomer. He's like, you tricked me. And Bomer didn't trick him at all. <laughs> no, he pushes Dr. Frankenstein down, and I guess he strikes his head, and he dies. And Igor slash monster throws Dr. Bomer into some kind of electrical machinery, and he dies. Of course, the villagers, they're doing their villager thing, going through the house, of course, as we all do with torches. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> and, <laughs> and apparently, the, at the same time, uh, gas was released, and the house starts to explode. Yeah. But Dr. Frankenstein's daughter and her love interest, which is the prosecutor, Ralph Bellamy, mm -hmm. make it out. But there's a wonderful scene where the Frankenstein slash Eagle monster, being blind, is making his way through the house. And there's these wonderful close-ups of Cheney's face moving his head back and forth. And each time you see it, the skin's a little more blistered, a little more blistered. Yeah. So he's like, burn it alive. 
And it really is wonderful makeup by Jack Pierce because it does like it's just blistering off his face. It's really all good. All of a sudden, these big yeah. All of a sudden, these big timbers start smashing, and then the whole house you know catches on fire. And and then you have the uh, the wonderful musical score with the two lovers walk away into the the sunrise. So but I think it's it's really important to mention that the wonderful way they tie this film into the first Frankenstein 1931 film is that when Elsa, Frankenstein's daughter, was reading the journals from her grandfather and her uncle, uh, as she opened the book up, they start showing scenes from the original Frankenstein of Paul and Clive, you know, setting off, you know, all those wonderful weird camera angles also from the Bride of Frankenstein. And then they did something to, to really, like, tie Cheney into the whole canon. Yeah. Is that they showed what was supposed to be uh, Paul and Clive unwrapping the face of the monster, which didn't take place in the first film. But when they took the bandages off, it was Cheney. So it got this neat kind of continuity. And on the other end, on the next movie in the series, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, and you see Lugosi playing the monster. And what a lot of people didn't realize is that he was blind in that film, which they cut out. And he actually had dialogue, which they cut out. So he was speaking in Igor's voice, which may, would make sense. Exactly. For all the inconsistencies throughout uh, all the Frankenstein films, there is, they did manage to weave this thread of the monster himself. Ever since I met Daniel Horn, I've wanted to have him on the show, and I think he did the Ghost of Frankenstein justice. I hope you enjoyed part one of our discussion. In part two of our discussion, we're going to talk a little bit more about what was going on with Universal, what was going on with the Frankenstein films, but Lugosi, Lon Chaney Jr. as the creature. We ended part one by talking about this thread that Universal was weaving through the Frankenstein films. We're going to pick up on that a little bit more. And, you know, it's just a great conversation that I cannot wait to share with you here in a couple of days. So make sure you come back for that. And since we're talking about the Ghost of Frankenstein, I would be remiss if I did not mention the book, Fit for a Frankenstein by authors Paul McComas and Greg Sterrett. Now, we've had Paul on the show in the past as a guest. We've talked about Lon Chaney. We've talked about I Walked with a Zombie. We're going to have him on the show again in the future. But until then, go check out the short novel Fit for a Frankenstein. When Daniel and I were talking about the ghost of Frankenstein, we mentioned that there's a point where the monster gets a new suit. Fit for a Frankenstein fills in that gap, tells us what happened, where the suit came from. It's this little mini side adventure that the monster and Igor have before they get to this area. So go check that out. You can find out more about that over at paulmccomas.com. I put a link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. The book is available on Amazon. It's available for your Kindle, for your e-reader devices. You have no excuse to go check it out. It's a fun read. And as I've told Paul in the past when I've had him on the show... They really nailed Igor's voice. You cannot read his dialogue in this book without hearing Lugosi speaking it in your head. It's great. Well, this week is the next Monster Kid Radio Crash event, and yes, it's another Santo film. The Hollywood Theater here in Portland, Oregon, on February 20th, as part of the Cinescopio series of films, is showing El Santo versus the Martians, or at least that's the title they're giving it. I think the title in Spanish is Santo versus La Invasion de los Marcianos. But again, I can't speak or read Spanish. Call it a birth defect. Anyway, I hope if you're in the Portland, Oregon area, you'll consider joining us at the Hollywood Theater as we all descend on the Hollywood to watch Santo fight the forces of Mars and save the world in this classic film. Now, tickets are 8 
I would recommend that you buy your tickets in advance because it was a pretty full crowd last month. And this is a popular series. I can't wait for the movie. We're also going to see the documentary Viva Lucha Libre as a double feature with this film. Now, there's no panel this time around, but there will be one next month. So you'll just have to come back in March for that one. But you're going to get two movies, a feature length film and a short documentary for eight bucks. And you're going to get to see it with your fellow Monster Kid Radio listeners. We have an event page set up on Facebook for the Monster Kid Radio crash. The film itself has an event page. Head over to monsterkidradio.net to follow the link in the show notes to the Hollywood Theater or just go straight to Hollywood Theater and that's theater with an R-E at the end dot org and you can buy your tickets now. I'm going to be there. I'm going to have my recorder there. I know Ray and Chris who were at the last crash are planning to be there as well so I'm hoping they can make it and that I can record with them and if you're going to be there track me down and I'll record with you and put you on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. Viva El Santo! Before we wrap up the show, I want to go ahead and mention a couple of crowdfunding projects that are going on right now as we speak. Things that are important to me and important to people that we've had here on the show, and I think important to you. First of all, we've got Stephen D. Sullivan, the man over at sdsullivan.com or stephendsullivan.com. He is in the middle of Tournament of Death 3, which is his chapter-a-day novel, which he's writing during the Winter Olympics. Over a Kickstarter, you can go back the project. And what you get for backing the project? Well, you get a chapter a day. You get to read the entire novel as he's writing it. And as they hit more stretch goals, they're going to add new stories like a story by Paul McComas or Matt Forbeck. Now, if they can get to the $1,700 mark, you're going to get a bonus story by Ed Greenwood. We've also got stories by Stan. That's Stan with an exclamation mark. And Gene Raby on deck if they can get to the various stretch goals in the project. So, again, look them up over a Kickstarter I think you'll like what you see. I think you'll like what you read. Again, link in the show notes. You'll also find a link in the show notes to the documentary, Long Live the King, The Legacy of Kong. Now, this is a crowdfunding project through Capapal. A couple of weeks ago, we had Frank Dietz on the show. He's the co-director of this upcoming documentary. Now, his company, Benevolent Monster Productions, which you can find at benmonsterfilms.com, is responsible for the Bob and Kathy Burns documentary, Beast Wishes, which, if you haven't seen, and I've been saying this for a while, you need to see. It's a wonderful love letter to these two people who embody so much of what makes us all monster kids and fans of these kinds of films. Well, they've turned their movie-making magic to King Kong. And this is going to be a documentary. As Frank told me, it's not about the making of King Kong, although I'm sure some of that's going to sneak in. It's really more about the cultural and pop cultural impact that King Kong had. I'm excited for this documentary. I think you should be too. It only has 10 days left to fund. They've got a goal of $29,000. As of this recording, we're only at 5700 So we really need everybody's help to make this documentary a success. If you pledge enough, you can get a copy of the DVD when it's done. That's how I supported Beast Wishes. I got a copy of my movie when it was done, and it's awesome. I've watched it more than once. That's going to do it for this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Make sure you come back in a couple of days for part two of our conversation about the ghost of Frankenstein with Daniel Horn. I can't wait to share that with you. I think you're going to dig it. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that does not apply to the song Dead Tree. That appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio with the permission of the band The Surf Coasters. It's available on their album, Surf Attack. You can find out more about them over at surfcoasters.com. Talk to you in a couple of days. (laughs) 